Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Volume. Lakers Tonight is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. It's America's number one sportsbook. It's easy to use, and it's fun to combine multiple bets from the same game into a same-game parlay. And FanDuel Sportsbook is now live in Ontario, Canada. If you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with promo code JasonT so they know I sent you. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, or Wyoming. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org/chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com/rg in Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania or Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Tennessee Redline is 1-800-889-9789. Visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia or 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. I'm Jason Timp. Happy Saturday, everybody. I hope you all had a great week. Happy NBA Playoffs Day. It is finally here. This next two-month stretch is literally my favorite time of year. There's nothing like the relentless onslaught of quality basketball that we're all about to experience. You know, Draymond Green went on the Point Forward podcast, which is a new podcast that I just learned about with Andre Iguodala and Evan Turner. And they were talking about the NBA media, and in it, Draymond Green basically went on a long diatribe that I 
won't get too far into because it's something I've talked about a lot on the show in the last couple of days. But he was talking about how the media has a responsibility to cover the beautiful game of basketball and not the drama and all of the stuff that you see, especially, you know, on some of the bigger media networks, the talking head shows, you'll see all of these, all of the focus on seemingly nothing but the basketball, which can be frustrating. And I 100% agree with Draymond. And that's exactly why I love this time of year, because for the next two months, these teams that are here, it's not about drama anymore. It's about basketball, and we can really, really get into the weeds. We don't have to worry about the day-in, day-out grind of the regular season and guys you know, not being focused on the right things or guys taking load management or maybe it's a, a night in Los, uh, Los Angeles where they went out on the town. None of that's happening anymore. This is dead serious basketball. It's, uh, what always uh, stands out to me right away from the very beginning is just how hard it is to score in these games. Everyone talks so much about the way playoff basketball changes compared to the regular season. I feel like it's more of a slow burn too. Like some of the officiating stuff takes till later rounds for the refs to really decide to swallow the whistle. And uh, a lot of the pace and these teams, they gear up into the playoffs and by the the teams that are still around by the third and fourth round, they're so dialed in and they know exactly who they are. There's just no such thing as easy baskets anymore. And that's what makes the game so incredibly interesting. You see this moment. It's almost like an oh shit moment where the teams get stuck in the half court as soon as they face a set defense where you just realize everyone kind of looks at each other like, what do we do? We got to figure out a way to score here. This is going to be hard. It's my favorite t- It's my favorite part about NBA playoff basketball. We had three really interesting games today. The Nuggets-Warriors game we're going to lump in with tomorrow's show. Starting tomorrow night, we'll get back into the traditional groove of the live YouTube shows that we do uh, where we have Carson come on and we do a bunch of other stuff as well. Today, we're going to be breaking down that Raptors Sixers game and then the Grizzlies Wolves game as well as the Jazz and the Mavericks. But we're going to start with that Raptors Sixers game, which was super interesting on a bunch of different levels. Uh, You know, looking from the not 30,000 foot view of this series, I talked about how the Sixers were the better team and they had more talent. They should win the series, but there are some advantages with Toronto, specifically with their coaching staff and the fact that Philly has some very specific weaknesses that over the course of the series, Nick Nurse should be able to exploit. The Raptors, while being a team that's at a massive talent disadvantage, are not at, they're they're not out of advantages entirely. They have advantages over this Philly roster, overall athleticism, overall foot speed, And then, like I said, at the head coach. And so as this series progresses, Toronto, I believe, will be able to be better with the adjustments. It remains to be seen whether or not that will be enough to overcome the talent or not. I thought the story of this game from the beginning, which was something we expected. I talked to you guys a lot this year about how the Raptors are a team that are super aggressive on defense. They're not a very like disciplined kind of stay home type of defense. They're a gimmicky, aggressive defense which is by design, Nick Nurse is empowered to do it that way. We all remember the box in one he used on the Warriors. Nick Nurse is not afraid to try things. And from the very beginning of this series, when they would run the Joel Embiid, James Harden pick and roll, there was a third defender coming over in the middle of the action. They decided we're playing three on two with this. And guess what? It's a lot easier to slow down the Harden and beat pick and roll when you have three defensive players involved. That's That goes without saying. But what's the obvious downfall? It's three on two for the Sixers on the back end. And to their credit, 
James Harden and Joel Embiid did not force that action. We talked a lot about how James Harden doesn't seem to have the burst to beat guys off the dribble. He wasn't really showing that tonight. It's not like he was flashing around a ton of athleticism. James Harden won this game with his brain. And that's the best thing he can bring to this table. I don't expect James Harden to suddenly unlock 2018 James Harden in this series. I released a video the other day that I showed you guys where I went over some numbers. James Harden's finishing at the basket about half as often as he did in his 2018 season. His uh, pull-up jump shooting is down 8% from where it was in 2018. He's relying on free throws for like almost 40% of his offense since he went to Philly. James Harden has some significant decline in his game, but there's one area where he will never experience decline, and it's probably at a higher level than it's ever been, and that's his playmaking, his ability to read what's happening on the floor and make the right decisions. I've been critical of him at times in Philly of forcing the action and trying to play old-fashioned James Harden ball, running into bodies and throwing up junk trying to get foul calls and it not working instead of making the easy reads that are there. Those of you who have listened to the show over the course of the last couple months have heard me talk about that. Well, tonight, that's not what James Harden did. He made the right play consistently. And to the credit of the guys on the Sixers, they stepped up and knocked down shots. Tobias Harris knocked down shots. Tyrese Maxey knocked down shots. They all stepped up in big ways on the backside in order to make that coverage that Toronto was using not work. And then we talked a lot over the course of the preview that I did that Toronto's biggest advantage was transition. This has been a story with the Sixers all season. Part of it's because Joel Embiid is somewhat slow-footed. Part of it is because James Harden can be lazy at times and they run these actions and they get into the paint with Embiid and James Harden and they usually throw stuff up and they usually complain to the refs and if you run the other way, you can get easy baskets in transition. Well, Toronto could never really get a hold of that pace side of the game. I always talk about like the cascading effect of getting defensive stops. So if you have a foot speed advantage and you're the Raptors, the way for you to utilize that against the Sixers is by getting stops. You can't get out and transition unless you get stops. That extra couple of seconds, you can, to be clear, you can get out and transition after they've made shots. It's just lo- it's a lot harder. So the easiest way to get out in transition is to get stops. And if you're taking the ball out of the net every time, that buys Philly an extra second or two for their guys to get back. And as you saw tonight, when they got their defense set, it was a lot harder for Toronto to score. And then one of the weirdest things about today's game is the the Sixers were getting out in transition going the other way. And the disappointing thing there, if you're a Raptors fan, is that just shouldn't happen. The overall foot speed of these lineups that Toronto's throwing out there is too fast to get to lose a foot race to this Philadelphia team. That just can't happen. That's attention to detail stuff. That's a little bit of effort stuff. And, you know, I'm not surprised. The Sixers have probably heard all week, including from myself, that they're going to lose this series. And they're probably like, screw that, man. Like, we're the better team. And so if you're Toronto, you can't lose those battles. You can't lose the battle that's supposed to be your advantage. You can't get beat in transition when you are the faster team. Those are little details that they're going to have to work out. Couple of silver linings for the Raptors. I thought their offense looked pretty good overall. It didn't, they didn't, again, couldn't keep up with Philly in this particular game, but they they have they scored enough and they scored easily enough that if they can figure out some of these things on defense, particularly in transition and particularly with guarding the James Harden Joel and beat pick and roll, that should they should be able to score frequently enough. This is something that I talked about. Everyone was concerned about the Raptors half court offense, but a lot of their talent was wearing suits all year. 
You saw, you know, uh, uh, we saw uh, uh, OG Ananobi miss a huge chunk of the season with injuries. We saw Fred Van Vliet deal with knee problems as the season was progressing. Guys were in and out of the lineup a lot. Pascal Siakam was dealing with some injuries early on in the season. So having them all together now, there actually is a decent amount of defensive or offensive talent on the floor. I thought Scotty Barnes even had some moments where he flashed some offensive creation off the dribble from the top of the key and finding cutters and things along those lines. Toronto's going to be able to score, it looks like. That's the good news. But they have to figure out how to stop Philly. I thought the story of the game tonight was what you saw was that third defender wasn't enough to stop that action because they were making them pay on the backside. So you have two options from there. You can either sharpen up the backside rotations so that you don't give up open threes there, but it's going to put a lot of stress on your athletes to fly around the floor. Or you have to go two-on-two with the Harden and Embiid pick and roll. There's some little things you can do there. For instance, have that third defender ready to go after Embiid catches the ball. That's what I would do. I'd switch that screen and roll and basically force James Harden to pull the ball out and either isolate whoever the big guy, whether it's Precious to Chew or somebody like that, whoever it is, pull the ball out and either isolate on the center or have to work it back to the post to Embiid. I thought the Raptors actually did a pretty good job on Embiid post-ups of crowding him and taking that stuff away. It was the screen and roll where they were getting killed. So if you can switch that action and force them to make a post entry, I I like our chances better there if I'm Toronto. That third defender coming over too soon, they were getting way too easy shots on the back end. So figure out how to play two-on-two with the Embiid Harden pick and roll if you can. They got to figure out what went wrong in transition. Figure out those details. You can't get beat up and down by up and down the floor by the slower team in Philadelphia. And last but not least, you can't if you're going to slow down. You successfully slowed down Joel Embiid, and you successfully slowed down James Harden for the most part, especially as putting the ball in the basket goes. But you got killed by Tyrese Maxey and by guys on the weekends, weeks out of the floor. So you got to figure out how to guard James Harden and Joel Embiid without letting the other guys get going. Really quickly on Tyrese Maxey before we get uh, before we move on to the other series from today, this is a this is a classic example of how slotting can be advantageous for a team when you bring in somebody like James Harden as a talent. We're going to talk about this a lot with the Dallas Ma- Dallas Mavericks here in just a minute because they're experiencing the negative side of this slotting with what happened with Luka Doncic. But everything about the game plan for Toronto is geared around stopping the Harden and Bead pick and roll, right? Stopping Harden. Or uh, uh, Embiid post ups and Harden in that screen and roll action. So, as a result, the amount of defensive attention that's devoted to Tyrese Maxey is not very much at all. And a couple things: a lot of what Tyrese Maxey was doing in transition that can be tightened up by everything we were just talking about with the details for Toronto. But this is what happens when you devote that kind of defensive attention to James Harden and Joel Embiid. You have a very talented young guard in Tyrese Maxey who's getting off right now because he's getting easy opportunities. That's the downside of doing that. That's part of why I think it's so important to get that James Harden, Joel Embiid pick and roll down to a two-on-two coverage so that you don't, you're not giving like incredibly easy opportunities for incredible players like Tyrese Maxey. Shout out to him. Made a lot of big plays today. Took over that game in the third quarter. Incredible performance. A lot of series left. Nick Nurse is the biggest advantage for Toronto. His brain... He's the best coach, one of the best coaches in the NBA. Definitely a better coach than Doc Rivers, in my opinion. He's their advantage. His him figuring this out as the series progresses is Toronto's best bet. I don't think this is anywhere near over yet. Round one goes to the Sixers. All right, let's move on 
to this Dallas Mavericks home loss to the Utah Jazz. So game one goes to the Jazz, which is not the least bit surprising. I was talking yesterday about how Steph Curry and Draymond Green are two of the most irreplaceable players in the league with respect to what they bring to the table for their specific team and how difficult it would be to find somebody else to do that. And Luka's in that conversation as well. And, you know, there's there's a lot to the system that Dallas brings to the table that still functions when Luka's not there. I thought Dallas competed like crazy on defense tonight. Credit to them. If they defend like that and Luka comes back, I like their chances in this series. That's a huge plus. On the... Uh, on the offensive end, it's more or less the same type of action that you're seeing with Luka. It's just with less lesser players running it. This is where that staggering thing comes into the equation that I was talking about. When, when you're looking at Tyrese Maxey in the types of defensive attention and defensive coverages that he's seeing, he is so talented that he can have a certain amount of success in that environment, right? Similar thing has happened with Spencer Dinwiddie and Jalen Brunson this year. Everything's devoted towards Luka Doncic and the way that they uh, and, and the way that teams have to cover him. There's also a fatigue element. Luka Doncic, with his usage rate, is going to take a certain number of pick and roll possessions, or just just we'll call it commanding offensive possessions. He's going to command a certain number of possessions over the course of that game. So the ask that's on Spencer Dinwiddie and the ask that's on Jalen Brunson is significantly lower. Fatigue becomes less of an issue. There's less repetition. Repetition is a huge thing that I talk about in playoff basketball. It's one of the big reasons why James Harden struggles as series goes along. He kind of comes at you the same way over and over and over again, and defenses kind of figure it out. So versatility becomes one of the biggest you know, indicators of success. And Luka Doncic has a ton of versatility to the way he attacks. Guys like Jalen Brunson and guys like Spencer Dinwiddie are a little more one-dimensional in their offensive approach. So in larger doses and with more actions on their plate, with more f- with fatigue playing a bigger role and with more repetition, those guys are going to lo- look less effective. And what you saw tonight was Jalen Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie struggling to replicate what Dallas usually does on offense. And switching over to Utah for a second, because I think this is rela- uh, very important in kind of understanding why that is. As I've talked about a lot, Utah, I, I call the Utah Jazz frauds, and it's a you know it's kind of a fun word, right? It's it's just a, a you know it's kind of just a, a buzzword in in the sports talking head world when we're talking about teams like this that struggle in the postseason. But there's a very specific reason why I say that. I say that because there is a universe where the Utah Jazz are a very good defensive team, but we see them in certain environments become a very bad defensive team, right? Like. Last year, they were, I think, third in the entire NBA in defensive rating, if I remember correctly. Certainly one of the top few teams in the league. Then they run into the Clippers without Paul George and, uh, or without Kawhi Leonard, excuse me, and just get lit on fire. And they get, I think they had a 128 defensive rating in that series, which is a horrible number. So they're actually a bad defense in certain environments, but they're a great defense in other environments. And what is that environment? That environment is the ability of Rudy Gobert to stay in the paint. You guys probably heard Jeff Van Gundy today say during the broadcast, he specifically came out and said, Rudy Gobert has controlled this game without making a field goal. And he's right. Because in this specific game, with Luka out, the Dallas offense was incapable of getting Rudy Gobert out of the paint. And as a result, he was camping down there all night long. And every time they ran screen and roll and hit a guy with a pocket pass, they had to try to finish over Rudy and they couldn't. Anytime somebody beat one of the bad Utah Jazz defensive guards to the basket, Rudy Gobert was just waiting there. And so nothing was open. There was 
uh, one of the things that's consistently happened with Utah or with uh, Dallas this year is they've had to play non-shooters in the front court, right? Dwight Powell, not a great shooter, but he's so important to their screen and roll game, he has to be out there. Well, Luka does a better job of navigating that and finding ways to get around Gobert. Dinwiddie and Brunson really struggled with that. Rudy Gobert sat under the basket all night long and it caused a lot of problems. You saw another classic case of playoff defense with, uh, with Josh Green. Love Josh Green. Came to Tucson and played for the University of Arizona. He's not making his corner threes right now. So Utah's leaving him wide open. That's even more congestion in the paint. Dallas's offense completely and utterly broke down without Luka. And that's kind of the story of this series, right? Like, what are you going to do? They tried to go to Bertans for more offense and just relentlessly Donovan Mitchell and Boyan Bogdanovich just kept attacking Bertans every time down the floor. I thought that's what killed them, particularly in the third quarter. I, I do want to give some credit to the Jazz. They're not a great defensive team on the perimeter, but they did compete today. Again, it's easier to do when you're dealing with Jalen Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie, but the Jazz did compete. But no, there's really nothing really worth talking about here if they can't get Luka back. Luka is the only thing that matters for Dallas in this series because if he's not there, Dinwiddie and Brunson aren't up to the task. They're not going to be able to get Gobert out of the paint, and they're just simply not going to be able to score enough. Even with as good as they are defensively, they're not going to be able to score enough to win this series. So all that matters at this point is they absolutely have to get Luka back. I don't even really see much else to dig into here unless that's the case because Dallas simply cannot keep up in this series without him. All right, last, before we get out of here today, we're going to look at what I thought was an incredibly entertaining game between the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Memphis Grizzlies. So game one went to the Timberwolves. I saw this series being one that Memphis would eventually control and win probably in five or six games, but I did I think that all the games would be competitive. For those of you who listened to the preview, these are two teams that share a lot of similarities. They both play at an extremely high pace. Minnesota plays the fastest pace in the league. Grizzlies play the fourth fastest pace in the league. They both have a ton of long and athletic wings, and they both play extremely hard. That's been one of the interesting dynamics surrounding the Grizzlies all season. They're very good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to undercut them. They are one of the most talented teams in the NBA. Every time John Morant sits out, it's like, here comes another young athletic guard, whether it's Zaire Williams or D'Anthony Melton or whoever it might be. There's always just another guy that they have on the roster who's young and athletic and super talented. That team has a super, super bright future. But this season, they played harder most of the time. They were a young team. An, uh, uh, an athletic team. They played well at home. They talked a lot of trash. They had like this youthful exuberance to them, which I liked a lot, but it led to an advantage in the effort and energy parts of the game on most nights, which worked great, especially when they play veteran basketball teams. Well, here's the thing. Minnesota does the same exact thing. That team also plays extremely hard and they came into this game one and they punched Memphis in the mouth in the effort and energy parts of the game. They had 11 offensive rebounds. I've been amazed by Minnesota's perimeter defense. I talked about this a lot in the series preview. They are sixth in the number of drives that they allow per game, despite the fact that they play the fastest pace in the entire NBA. NBA.com doesn't let you filter for things like per 100 possessions in their tracking data, but if you could... 
they'd probably be either leading the league or very close to leading the league in preventing drives from the perimeter because they sit down in a defensive stance and they make things extremely difficult for you. I thought they did an outstanding job defending the tri- the dribble drive all game long with Memphis. They stayed in front of Jaron Jackson and made him shoot over the top. I've been telling you guys nonstop, Jaron Jackson Jr., super bright future, incredible defensive player. He's a bull in a china shop offensively, and I thought he would struggle in a playoff environment with a team that consistently built a wall in front of him and slid their feet and made him shoot over the top. They did, and he struggled. Desmond Bain, I thought, struggled uh, generating quality shots. He's not a great shot creator. That This kind of all broke down exactly how I expected for Memphis. It came down to John ja Morant and his ability to create shots. And just like James Harden made the right reads... I thought John Morant forced a lot of actions in the paint instead of making the right reads. Crowds of bodies would come in when he would beat people off the dribble. Even with as good as Minnesota is with their perimeter defense, they are not fast enough to stay in front of John Morant. He was getting into the paint. But you have two options when you're there. You can either throw yourself into the throng of bodies in hopes of drawing a foul or making a layup, or you can make the easy reads to guys on the weak side and hope that guys will knock down shots. That's not what John Morant did. He just threw his he just repeatedly threw himself into traffic. He did get a lot of calls until late in the game. Then those calls went away, those opportunities went away, and their offense kind of fell dead. That's got to be the biggest adjustment that Memphis has to make as this this series progresses. You know, the Wolves are happy to make those plays. When they get into the lane, they're constantly kicking out to shooters. The Wolves are number one in the league this year in three-pointers attempted and number one in the league this year in three-pointers made. So it's not a big shock that they took 41 of them today and they made 16 of them for 39%. That's the way their offense is designed to function. That's the kind of shot they're going to get. The Grizzlies are not great in that department. They are 23rd this year in three-pointers attempted. They are 23rd this year in three-pointers made, and I believe they're 17th in percent. So they're not a great three-point shooting team. So part of this particular matchup is the 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 Grizzlies have to uh, to understand the way this chess match is unfolding. The Grizzlies or the the Timberwolves are sliding their feet on the perimeter and they're taking away a lot of your easy driving opportunities. And when you get into the paint, they are packing the paint and they're giving up shots on the weak side. You have to make those reads when they're there, just like James Harden and Joel Embiid did tonight. That's going to be the story of the game. They went 7 for 27 from 3 tonight, only 26%. That's nowhere near enough attempts for how often Minnesota was overplaying the paint. You have to be taking high 30s, low 40s, 3s in this particular matchup. As this kind of goes along, that's going to be their biggest area of opportunity is finding those three-point shots on the weak side of the floor. Another adjustment that I think the Grizzlies absolutely have to make, they got to get Steven Adams out of the lineup. I will never understand the obsession that coaches have with slow plotting bigs. I dealt with it with Frank Vogel this year and DeAndre Jordan and Dwight Howard in large doses. You know, Sixers fans have dealt with it with going to uh, DeAndre Jordan coming off the bench for them there. Steven Adams in Memphis, it's the exact same problem. Jaron Jackson Jr., is every bit capable of playing the five for you all the time, okay? And you can go to Brandon Clark or play small in the minutes that he's not on the floor. You're so athletic around him, and you're so strong around him. Desmond Bain is big and strong. Jaron Jackson is big and strong. Dylan Brooks is as big and physical a perimeter player that we have in this league. You do not need Steven Adams on the floor. When he's on the floor, they're going to run you up and down, and they did tonight. I'll have to pull up the box score, but they were 
big minus when Steven Adams was on the floor. That's an easy adjustment to make moving forward. Get out of your traditional lineups. This is the postseason. You don't need to manufacture stops against the weak opponents in the 82-game schedule. This is winning time. You can't afford to lose another game. You have to get uh, Steven Adams out of the lineup and then don't get outworked anymore. You have to find a way to make sure that, especially when you're at home, you win the effort and energy parts of the game. You get more offensive rebounds than Minnesota gets. You play better in transition. Those are the areas of the game that they have to control Special shout out to all the role players from Minnesota who made a ton of big shots tonight. Patrick Beverly made a huge sidestep three. Uh, Jaden McDaniels made a huge three out of the corner that kind of iced it. Torian Prince made some big shots. Uh, Mike uh, 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 Malik Beasley, what an amazing performance from him. He is, you know, he's kind of like a depends on when you watch him kind of guy. Inconsistent, not entirely uncommon for players like that with that type of that archetype of kind of volatile offensive shooting guard. But man, he played really, really well as well. This is going to be a very competitive series. I think that the Grizzlies have easy adjustments that they can make and they are the more talented team. They should be able to swing things, but great first step for Minnesota. Last note on Minnesota before we get out of here for the day. Really impressed with Carl Anthony Towns and the way he bounced back. He had a really unfortunate game against the Clippers. I thought he let the foul trouble get into his head. The way the Clippers swarmed him clearly bothered him in a bunch of different ways. It'd be really easy to shrink mentally from that and under and just feel like it's just not it's just not your night or whatever it is. Cat rebounded and he played extremely well tonight. He was dominant on the offensive glass. Huge part of their offense tonight was the ability to give Carl Anthony Towns the ball at the top of the key and space out around him where he could easily beat guys off the dribble with his face-up game. It's where he got his incredible dunk. It was on a gamble, on a on an entry there to the high post, and he was beating guys off the dribble there. He's so strong, and his ability to draw contact and finish through contact at the rim out of that position was a huge part of their offense. The, what's interesting there is, with exception of Jaron Jackson Jr., I don't think anybody on Memphis can guard him on that spot of the floor. So that's going to be a really interesting chess piece for Minnesota as this series progresses. How frequently can they get the ball to Cat there without Jaron Jackson Jr. there? Because even when Jaron Jackson Jr. comes over to help, when Cat has a head of steam, it just doesn't matter like you saw with that ridiculous dunk. Super entertaining first day of games. Like I said, we're going to get to the Warriors-Nuggets game in tomorrow's show. Back to normal right after the last game of the day. We'll be going live on YouTube and on Twitter spaces. We'll have Carson and the whole shebang going on there. As always, I appreciate your guys' support. I'm really excited that we're getting this playoff journey off and started. I will see you guys tomorrow. The volume. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions.
MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts